Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces, all the trash to pieces of genre cinema and occasionally some festival films as well. Yes, yes, and this is one of those occasions. It is one of those occasions and we are very, very happy to be here today discussing this year's Glasgow Film Festival. Yeah, a really good festival. Yeah. Um, some really great films. Didn't manage to watch them all. There's a lot of films. Yeah, I think the first thing we need to mention off the bat is the fact that we didn't do it entirely in person. We only did Fright Fest in person. The rest of it was all through the digital library, so we only had access to certain films, which means we didn't get to see the likes of Vortex, Benedetta, The Worst Person in the World. I'm sure they would all be on this episode if we did watch them. I'm so um, looking forward to Benedetta. But yeah, so... This is covering uh, what we got through the digital library and uh, Fright Fest as well. Yeah, and we're just hoping to put out there some recommendations for films that might not everyone would know about. Exactly. You know, and yeah, hopefully people might be intrigued and go and watch them. Yeah, and we're horrible trash over this. You know, we're down into the other side of things a lot during this episode. Yeah. Um, it's our podcast. We can exactly. Do we exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it, we're just here to spread the good word. <laughs> Other people switch off. <laughs> we're here to spread the good word of indie films and uh, films you just definitely need to watch. Yes. So, uh, first of all, this is going to be a spoiler-free episode. Absolutely no spoilers to be found here because these are films that haven't been released yet, uh, for the most part, so we would love for everyone to just go watch them and we want to ruin it for you. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be 15 films we're going to discuss. We did watch 26, but we narrowed it down uh, to our favourites. Uh, and our biggest highlights of the festival. Uh, and also, before we start, I just want to thank Glasgow Film Festival for the uh, press accreditation. We always really appreciate opportunities like this because, I mean, we're kind of a niche podcast in comparison to a lot of the bigger podcasts. Yeah. Um, you know, we discuss horror court and trash films mostly. Um, so, yeah, thanks for giving us a chance. Yes. And, uh, yeah, we hope we can spread the word. In the best way possible. Shall we start? Yes. So, these are in no particular order, by the way. These are just our 15 favourite films from the festival. Uh, so, starting with Let the Wrong One In, which was part of Fright Fest, uh, directed by Connor McMahon. Um, McMahon? McMahon. 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 That makes absolute sense. Um, I'm also a dumbass. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. A young supermarket worker you discovers... <laughs> A young supermarket worker discovers his older brother is a vampire and has, cho- has to choose whether to help him or slay him. Release date currently to be confirmed. We're going to get a lot of that, aren't we? I think. A, yeah, usually I'd be just f- focusing on UK release dates on these episodes, but I've gone a bit further afield. Oh, nice. Because, I mean, we have listeners all over the place, so I don't want to be just like, oh, just if you're in the UK. International. Exactly. Um, just like Pitbull. So, Let the Wrong One In. Yes. Started off Fright Fest. Not a parody of Let the Right One In. More of a parody of The Lost Boys. Yeah, or a parody of... Well, not even... I wouldn't even say parody. A a comedy based around vampires. Yes. And to my amusement, (laughs) based around a gang of middle-aged female vampires on a Hindu. Yeah, that's Um, how it all starts. There's a Hindu in Transylvania, isn't there? There is, there is. And 
we even start the film with a bit of Franz Ferdinand as well, which uh, took me by surprise. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you can't go wrong with a film like this. I mean, well, it, I suppose it depends, really. But vampire comedies, you know, there's just a certain charm to them. And there has been over the years, you know. Uh, and this one is no exception. It is, it's very charming. Um, and it really makes the most of a low budget, which is always great. Yeah, it's just a, a fun film to watch. It's funny. Um, I could really see it being on the Horror Channel yeah. and, you know... Just Maybe Shudder. Or Shudder and, and randomly have it on and, and have a few laughs. And, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's not breaking any new ground, but it doesn't need to. No. It's just a fun film. Yeah, um, the cast do a, a good enough job. I thought the chemistry between the two brothers was great. Yeah. Um, they're both yeah. really funny. Uh, Anthony Head's in this. Anthony Head is, <laughs> yeah. Um, back to slaying vampires again. Yeah, yeah. The the director who was at Fright Fest thought that uh, Anthony Head might have had enough of uh, vampire yeah. um, films and TV shows. But um, no, he was well on board. Yeah. And he, he's great. I mean, he shows up with an Irish accent and immediately I thought, oh, shit. Is this really... What we've got to listen to because it, it was it was bad. It was a little. But funny. then it's worked into a joke, and it's like okay, yeah, that that's that's funny. That, yeah. that actually works. And without giving too much away, there's a certain special effect later on in the film. Um, I'm not going to say what it is, but looking at it, you're like, again, oh shit, this this doesn't look great. But again, it's worked into the script as a joke, and yeah. I just I really appreciated that. And you know, a film that knows its budget, it knows what it's working with. And just some fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, I would recommend watching it. If it's on the Horror Channel late at night and you happen to come by it, I would say give it a watch. Yeah. Uh, next up, another Fright Fest film. We have Monstrous, directed by this week's star of the podcast. Yeah. He gets two mentions. <laughs> we discussed I Know Who Killed Me on Tuesday, and it was directed by Chris Siverston, uh, the director of Monstrous. Story centres on traumatised woman, played by the Queen herself, Christina Ritchie, fleeing from her abusive ex-husband with her seven-year-old son. In their new remote sanctuary, uh, they find they have a bigger, more terrifying monster to deal with. Release date currently to be confirmed, but I reckon this is going to appear on Shudder as well. This is, yeah, this will probably be Shudder. Um, it was, I noticed that it was produced by Chicken Soup for the Soul okay, films. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure uh, American audiences would, uh, American audience will be aware of what Chicken Soup for the Soul is, but, um, it, it was a series of books back in the day that were just kind of around emotional stories. Yeah. And I, I, I remember there was a, a joke on Friends where Chandler couldn't cry and he started reading Chicken Soup for the Soul uh -huh. and that made him cry and, you know, so it's. It's, I would say, family-friendly. Yeah, this is a good gateway horror <laughs> film um, for a younger audience, too, if, they, if they're getting into yeah. horror, um, which is always good. Um, but I actually think it's probably for an older audience, too. Yeah. Um, so it's set in the 1950s. Yes. Many references to the 1950s. Um, there's no swearing, there's no real violence, is there? No, not really. It's not, I, I would probably say it would be rated about 12 here mm. in the UK. Yeah. So I do think 
potentially it is geared towards an older audience. Although Christina Ricci does get pretty wild in one scene with a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 talk about it. This is obviously you know. Um, I mean, yeah, as a film as a whole, it's really good. I would recommend it. The best thing about it is absolutely Christina Ricci. Of course. Um, she turns up in a fucking amazing 50s gear. Uh, and the, the set designs are great as well. You know, it, it gives that 50s vibe. Uh, but shows up and she's just bringing us camp value, bringing us emotional value. She's just giving us everything. She's serving looks. The outfits fit her perfectly. There's a scene where well suited yeah, to that style of dress. She she has a feud with her landlady and her boss and played by Colleen and Camp. Colleen Camp. Uh, the monologue with her boss is just out of this world. It was amazing. Um, and yeah, there's a scene where she acts like she's getting high whilst uh, smoking a cigarette and a normal cigarette and uh, drinking a bit of whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just great to watch. She's just. She's just on another level, um, and Colleen Camp's not too far behind. She's um, a bit of a scene stealer herself, yeah. isn't she? Um, but it's great, and you know, there's a few twists and turns, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is better than I Know Who Killed Me. Yes, it is, yes. <laughs> um, next up, we have Rebel Dread, directed by William E. Badgley. Uh, this is the story of Don Letts, the iconic cultural mover and shaker, filmmaker, musician and recounter. Uh, raconteur. Raconteur. Thank you very much. He is, uh, it's a documentary. Uh, release date. Uh, it's out now. At Select Cinemas. Oh, nice. Good. So, Rebel Dread. Yeah, I, I, Don Letts I always knew about. Yeah. And I, I knew he had something to do with music. Um, and he pop up on TV shows every so often. And he, he seemed like a real cool dude, but I didn't really know who he was. Yeah, I mean, The Clash are one of my favourite bands, and I didn't realise he was the man responsible for some of the most iconic music videos. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and when I say iconic, I mean instantly recognisable. You know what it is as soon as you see it. Uh, he was also a member of Big Audio Dynamite as well. Um... But yeah, a really interesting guy, really interesting documentary that delves into uh, the 70s and 80s punk scene, mm-hmm. um, as well as Dunlett's career. I'd have perhaps liked it to have gone a little more in-depth on his career where it is now. I felt like that's kind of where it fell short. Um, but for the rest of it, it it's really insightful, uh, with some great interviews, um, and it well made and yeah, worth watching. Yeah, and it's good as a, a sort of a historical documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you gain too much knowledge on who he is. No. Uh, but I don't think that was the point. Um, I think the point was to show what he did. And, you know, as, you know, a, a, a black man in, in the UK. Yeah, yeah. What he did and what that meant yeah. at that time. Um, so, yeah, really fascinating. It, it's... Uh, a part of British culture that I'm very much interested in. Um, again, we, we we love The Clash and uh, Big Audio Dynamite, so it was nice to see and, and to learn. I actually felt like I really learned something yeah. um, about, you know, British culture. Yeah, definitely. Next up, we have Superior, directed by Erin Vassilopoulos. Uh, the premise is on the run. Marion returns to her hometown to hide out with her identical twin sister, Vivian, altering the traje- the trajectory of both their lives. Release date currently to be confirmed. 
But if you are a fan of weird shit, then you're going to want to keep an eye out for this one. Yeah, I was a little nervous because the trailers and the advertising were like, oh, it's Twin Peaks, it's, you know, this, it's that, it's, you know, and usually when someone says, oh my God, this is, you know, it's like David Lynch directed whatever, I'm like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, and it usually turns out disappointing, but I really enjoyed this. It was weird, but... It was... Like, you could still follow it. Yeah, it's, it's still accessible. I felt it could have gone a little weirder. I think so. I think it could have pushed it a little further. I'm glad they didn't go too much in the kooky. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that's what I thought may have happened. and um, But it, it takes it fairly serious. And I think it is the better for it. Yeah. Um, great, you know, central performances. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know it's, it was an interesting watch yeah there's just a, that sense of twin peaks-esque dreamlike uh atmosphere constantly going on in the film um you know all the way through that you know there's some surreal moments and whatnot and the performances are great and especially with the two actresses as the film goes on and you kind of question who's who yeah. Um. As certain things happen, and and to you know to be able to do that without it, you know, without making a massive deal about it, that's just really impressive. And the cinematography is fantastic. And if you like actresses with Anna Wintour haircuts, yes, then absolutely, absolutely. Thing. Next up, we have Once Upon a Time in Uganda, uh, directed by uh, Catherine Zubek. Uh, a brick maker in Uganda becomes an internet sensation when he tries his hand at making action movies. Release date to be confirmed. Uh, it is a another documentary and one that is very on brand for this podcast. Uh, with the type of films being made. Um, it, it was made by two directors, by the way. Catherine Zubek and Hugo Perez. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is... Uh, the films dealt with in this in this uh, documentary aren't too far from something we'd discuss on here. No, absolutely. Um, so it's director Isaac Nabwana, um, hailed as Africa's Tarantino. Yes. Um, so he brought to life what is affectionately called Wakaliwood. Yeah. Um, and it you know, his bread and butter is action films on a very very low budget mm-hmm. um but incredibly enjoyable yeah we've seen the trailer we haven't seen any of his films no um, which is a real shame it's hard to come by in the uk um and it's kind of one of those where i would like to give him some money and you know yeah. uh, buy a blu-ray buy the dvds and blu-rays rather than sort of if it's uploaded to YouTube or, or whatever. Um, but he just comes across as a real nice guy. Yeah. Um, the, the guy from America, from New York, who goes over and, and kind of tries to help with the marketing side of things, he's a, a, a strange character, isn't he? Yeah, he's not so likeable. No, um, no, but, you know, it's an honest documentary it is, as well. It is, yeah. I think, you know, documentaries have to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that it, it never shied away from the fact that uh, the director of these films, he knows that they're not great. He knows that they're laughable. 
Um, but as long as they're making people laugh and people are enjoying them, he's happy with that. You know, he's not making these films for any sort of money. No. Um, he's doing it out of his own enjoyment because when he was younger, he enjoyed watching action films. And so it's for the love for the, yeah. of filmmaking. Exactly. Film yeah. Watching. He just he enjoys doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's his passion. And it's really, you know, that's really admirable. Um, and yeah, no, it's, it's just a really fun documentary. Yeah. Uh, there's the little mannerisms from his film included every now and then in little transition shots, which is a really nice touch. Um, yeah, it, it's just really, really, really good. Uh, and if you enjoy what we discuss on this podcast, you should absolutely check this out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely on. His films are definitely on brand for the podcast. So next up we have Olga, directed by Ellie Grapp. A 15-year-old Ukrainian gymnast exiled in Switzerland who is working to secure a place at the country's National Sports Centre uh, is what the story is based around. When the Euromaidan revolt breaks out in the country, anxieties rise as her family gets involved. Uh, so this is out in France, the Netherlands and Singapore, released in Turkey in April and to be confirmed release date elsewhere. So, I mean, this was very effective considering certain events going on in the world currently yes. um it's you know it's it's uh it's weird when you could watch a film made before these things and like you know you could recognize um and pair up some current events with events that was going on back then because of course this is based on a true story yeah no absolutely is is Olga's story based on a true story? I, I the Euro Maiden right so. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it is because I don't know for certain. Yeah. But obviously, we know about the Euro Maiden. It's based right. on a historical yeah. uh, period. It is, yeah. Um, um yeah, it's one of those films where I didn't really notice it as a film, so I wasn't really looking at it as in as I would, you know. Um, other films or works of fiction or mm. I, d I found the story very interesting I yeah. found the story of the Euro Maiden riots very interesting um, really kept my attention um, I thought considering a lot of the younger actresses were trained gymnasts yeah. and not trained not actresses yeah. I actually think they did very well yeah um and, yeah, it was just a really interesting film. It wasn't... I was a bit nervous it was going to be maybe a, a Red Sparrow rip-off because I wasn't mm. really familiar with what the whole Euro Maiden thing yeah. meant. Um, so I was a bit nervous, um, but I was pleasantly surprised, yeah, actually. And, yeah, it's a sports film, but you, you don't have to be a sports fan to enjoy it. I mean... No, it's not about sport. No, it's no, about, but the know, way it's incorporated, yeah, the way it's incorporated into the story and having her pressures um, between her gymnast career and the uh, the riots going on with her mum involved, it, it all comes together really well um, and does make for a very captivating film because of this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and all, I mean, all the gymnast scenes are filmed beautifully. Um, yeah, they are. You know, really well shot. It, it's you. Know, you don't have to be sports orientated no. to realize that a, gr a great deal of skill goes into the gymnastics oh, yeah. on display, and um, it it was you know great to watch. Yeah, and it also reminds me. Um, I I really have to give uh, bonus points to Glasgow Film Festival for their diversity this year. You know, we've watched 
films from all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so many female directors, which is so refreshing to see. Really refreshing to see many, um, many female directors. And doing a really good job as yeah, well. Yeah. You know, I always say, you know, you should give female directors the opportunity to make shit films. Yeah. But it's always nice to see them make great films. <laughs> yeah. So next up we have A Nice In Love, uh, directed by Charlene Bourgeois-Taquet. Follows An- Anais, uh, a 30-year-old woman that is broke and has a lover she doesn't think she loves anymore. She meets Daniel, who immediately falls for her, but Daniel lives with uh, Emily, whom Anais also falls for. UK release date to be confirmed. It's out already in Belgium, France and Poland, uh, and it's released in the Netherlands in June. So this was a uh, nice romantic drama slash comedy, dramedy, uh, very much in the style of uh, uh, Pedro Almodovar. Yeah, I thought so. Um, it's got that sort of uh, quirky melodrama feel to it. Uh, and I was, just, I was just really invested in this, especially once Emily is introduced in the film. Um you know, up until that point it was good, but then I was really involved once that happened because I thought the chemistry between her and the actress who plays Anais uh, was, was really good. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I went through the beginning of the film, not hating the film, but I, I didn't like Anais. Mm. I thought she was annoying yeah. and selfish and, you know, self-centred. And she probably still was at the end. Um... But the film actually makes her likeable. Yeah. And the central performance, forgive me, I haven't got her name, uh, but the actress does a great job of making her likeable when what she does isn't the most likeable. Yeah. You know, she is a mistress and doesn't seem to have any issue with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it takes a good filmmaker and a good cast... Um, to make an unlikable lead interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, yeah, it's just a really... It, sometimes, you, you know, you, you've got a good film and, and all you can really say is it's, it's just a really good film and that's, that's really all I can say. Yeah, it's this. fairly light entertainment. Yeah. It's, it doesn't delve too deep into any anything really. No. Sometimes that's all you need, you know, just yeah. a light throwaway film to watch um it's you know it's a bit saucy at times but it, it's nothing too graphic would make for a great double bill with parallel mothers yeah i, I maybe maybe i mean for the tone or maybe one of um, one for, of us lighter yeah films. for the tone mainly yeah um, next up we have catch the fair one. Oh, i get yeah i get what you're getting at yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well, it's a spoiler. <laughs> wow. Um, Catch the Fair One, directed by Joseph... Which one? Directed by Joseph Kubata uh, Wodjaka. And it's about a former champion boxer who embarks on the fight of her life when she goes in search of her missing sister. Release date to be confirmed. And would you say this is 2022's answer to Coffee? To coffee, yeah, yeah, it it is, and it's not it's not a black exploitation film, um, and doesn't try to be, but it is you know very similar actually very similar to to uh, 
um, the coffee and, and sort of Foxy Brown in, in terms yeah. of getting revenge and getting inside the um, criminal circuit. Yeah, yeah. Is that the, is that the word I would I, use? Yeah, I, mean, I suppose um, really one obvious comparison, which I'm sure a lot of people will use, uh, would be to John Wick when it comes to modern films mm. in, in that sort of area. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not miles she, apart. She's not, like, as in John Wick um, is, you know, unbeatable. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's practically He-Man. Yeah. Um, the... the um, main character in, in Catch the Fair One isn't like that. She's, no. she's a little more human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's very, very gritty as well. Very, you know, close to realism. Closer than any other film like this would be. Some scenes were difficult to watch. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and it really helps with the filmmaking on that side of things, you know. It's made to be a downbeat film. It's not meant to be a nice film. No. Um, and they, they do a great job of uh, of creating that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it's difficult because it, it it's a good film and I would recommend watching it, but it is a difficult watch. Yeah, absolutely. Overall. Uh, and again, you know... Produced uh, by Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Isn't it? So I, I think it probably will get some release some um maybe not a wide release but it should get a decent release really. yeah absolutely i mean the lead actress um kelly reese she is a world champion in two weight classes uh having held the wba female light wel- uh, welterweight since 2020 and oh, the ibo fantastic. female uh light welterweight uh title since may 2021 uh and again wbo so it goes on you know she she's a boxer in real life, mm. um, and no real acting experience, and she took this role and she was great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's, that's twice that's happened now. Yeah, and she also got a story by credit as well, so she's a writer on it as well. Oh, that's good. Oh, good for her. I'd like yeah. to see her act a bit more. Actually, she, she was she was great in the lead. Yeah, you you would never know that as her first film. No. So next up, we have Her Way, directed by Cecile Ducro. And it's about Mary, an independent and militant woman who has never needed anyone's help, including when it comes to raising her son. When the latter is expelled from his certificate of professional competence uh, training class, Marie cannot accept it. Dreaming of a brighter future for him, she decides to enroll him in one of the best cooking schools in France. But her income does not allow her to pay the school fees, so she has to find a solution at any cost. This is already out in France, uh, released to be confirmed elsewhere. It's interesting that, that... Did you get that from IMDb? That's the official premise, yeah. The official premise. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting that doesn't mention the fact that she's a prostitute. Yeah. Um, I do find that interesting. And I'm... I'm a, uh, it's a difficult one because the film is essentially about prostitution. Yeah. Um, but it's about... Real realism, yeah, really. Yeah, and, and and what surprises me with it not being mentioned in the official premise is the fact that this is sex worker positive. This film. it is, it is massively, sex massively sex worker positive. So maybe they could have included it in the official premise, and you know, um, because say she's uh, militant. Yeah, um, she is uh, protests yeah, throughout yeah. the film for sex worker rights. Yeah. 
Um, and it is, it is very sex worker positive, and I think it's great to see a film like that. Yeah, this is is very refreshing. But also with a very interesting um, plot. Mm. Uh, her son is a fucking asshole. Yeah, we were shouting at the screen. <laughs> Um, and that central, uh, forgive me, I should really write these names down, it's very disrespectful. Um, but the lead actress, um, her performance, fantastic. I think she does a really great job. She does, yeah, she, she is, is really great. Um, Law, Law Kalami, uh, in the lead role, yeah, she, she's fantastic. Um, it kind of had the same tone, completely different films, of course. But the tone kind of reminded me of Promising Young Woman. Okay. Uh, and the cinematography mm-hmm. and, you know, the soundtrack and whatnot. Um, obviously, two completely separate films, two completely separate premises. But the whole tone and cinematography reminded me of that. And that's absolutely a compliment because I love Promising Young Woman. Uh, and I loved Her Way. I thought it was a really, really fantastic film. Yeah, you, you know, you should know us by now if you're a fan of the podcast. We love a female empowerment story. Yeah. And this was a great one. Really good. It was. It was. And, you know, from the perspective of an older woman. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's easy to hate her son. But then, as the film goes on, you quickly realise, even though she's trying to get the money for her son, this is very much her story. You know, the film's called Her Way. Yeah. Um, And I do, yeah, I always... Sorry to interrupt, but I, I agree. And sometimes she is maybe a little too forceful. And sometimes, mm. you know, she can't see it from another perspective. Which layers. Yes. yes. Love it. Yeah. Speaking of a film with layers, next up we have Hive. Directed by Blurter Basholi. And it's about Farij's husband has been missing since the war in Kosovo. Kosovo. That's what I said. <laughs> What did you assume I was going to pronounce that wrong? Why? <laughs> you said Kosovo. That's what you said. Kosovo. <laughs> she sets up her own small business to provide for her kids, but as she fights against a patriarchal society that does not support her, she faces a crucial decision. This is out in Sweden, Spain, Germany and Ireland. Uh, and it's released in Denmark, France and Portugal in April. UK release dates to be confirmed. But the, you have to go and see this when it's released. Yeah, fantastic. Talk about a female empowerment story. Yes, yeah. Uh, what's really shocking um, is the attitudes and sensibilities in Albania, where the film's based, um, and then the way she's treated. Again, you know, it's patriarchal society. It is... Where she's living is it's just completely ruled by men. And... If a woman is to go out and do stuff for herself, the the backlash she faces is is fucking bizarre. It's um so it, it I don't think it's necessarily women. It's the idea that widows shouldn't be allowed to work. Mm. Um, it doesn't delve too deep into that and the reasons behind that. No. Um, the film is very much about her fighting yeah. against it. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Um. And it, it it was, you know, a real enjoyable film, really, because, you know, female empowerment. Absolutely. A, a strong uh, central performance. Again, you know, starting to see a theme here, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and um, 
Yeah, with interesting ideas. Yeah, um, Yika Gashi plays the lead role, and she is fantastic. Um, it is, yeah, it, it's very it's much... an understated role, it's yeah. for an understated performance. There's yeah. no huge, big scenes, no. you know, really. She's literally just trying to live her life. Exactly. Um, you know... Provide for her family. Yeah, whilst dealing with all the misogynistic people in her community even from inside her own family yeah and that's the, yeah and that's the thing you know mm. her, her family is just as bad um this is very much this is you know again her story and the battles that she faces outside of in her, in her world uh, and the fact that she starts up this small business despite the attitudes of the people around her it's it's really really an inspiring story yeah because it's not necessarily it's not saying that she's this modern woman and She's necessarily fighting against the patriarchal yeah. society. She's just fighting to live her life the way that she wants. Yeah. And to be able to provide for herself and her family. Yeah. You know, she... Uh, uh, there was one scene... This isn't a spoiler. There's one scene where she um, had... Well, well, she was having to sell her missing husband's... Um, woodworking station. Yeah, I, I I don't know what the word is for it. Um, and everyone in her family said, "No, mm. you can't do this." And she's like, "Where the fuck am I meant to get?" <laughs> she didn't actually swear. But she's like, "Where the fuck am I meant to get my money from?" Yeah. What is this? Yeah. It's you know it makes no sense, and she it's it's just you know a a really touching story yeah. of a woman fighting to survive yeah absolutely next up we have the braves directed by anais volpe and it's about two young and carefree aspiring actresses who chase their fear to dreams in the streets of paris until sudden hardship threatens their plans and tests their sisterhood uh this is out now in france and the release dates elsewhere are to be confirmed um now talking about performances Deborah uh, Lukamuna and Suila Jacob. I uh, forgive my pronunciations. I believe that's correct. Um, Oscar worthy, e- easily, easily Oscar worthy. Both of these. Yeah, they. they in in, they... in any ideal world, they would both be nominated for Oscars because these performances were some of the best I've seen in a while. Yeah, they did give great performances. Um, really likable characters. Yes. Yeah as well um and it is no spoilers it's, it's a little bit of a weepy one isn't it it is it touches the heartstrings at points yeah um so this is it and in a strange way you know this is not too dissimilar to all about eve but from a different angle to a certain degree to a certain degree um, I do understand where you're coming the from. The very roots of the premise, um, yeah. and the whole, you know... Yeah, but the, it's also, I thought, a, f- uh, a film about female friendship. Yes, And yeah. a, um, is it platonic is the word I'm looking for. Like a non-sexual love. Yeah. You know, and sisterhood, and over, well, um, trying to overcome the odds. Mm. Um, that's what I thought it was about, really. Um, but it is 
to do with actresses and the theatre. Yeah, that side sort of things is. Yeah. There is a touch of all about Eve there, but um, I don't. I I felt it was more about the kinship. Yes. Rather than the competition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's genuinely a very emotional film, um, but one that's so engaging. Um, you know, and, mainly and, down to those two performances. Yeah. They're really fantastic. The, performances. the chemistry was just so natural and. Some of the scenes they have to act out, you know, they, they are tough scenes. And they really, really give it their all. Mm. Yes. Um, you know, performances like this should be acknowledged more often during awards season. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it's... it's a sh- I, I understand what the Oscars are and, and you know, I love the Oscars. Because <laughs> uh, I'm a basic bitch. Um, but <laughs> I do wish they broadened their horizons yes. just a little bit more. But I'm I'm sure they would have been nominated for many awards in France. Yeah, I hope so. Hopefully. I hope so. Next up, we have Nitrum. So speaking of Oscar-worthy performances, we have Nitrum, uh, directed by Justin Curzel. Uh, events leading up to the 1996 Port Arthur massacre on Tasmania in an attempt to understand why and how the atrocity occurred. So this is out in Australia and Poland uh, and released in Norway and USA later this month. Russia, Sweden and Italy. Oh God. Sweden and Italy, should I say, in April. And uh, France in May and the UK and Ireland in July. I, I don't think it's going to be released in Russia because a lot of people are pulling films yeah, I th- from I, Russia yeah, now. Yeah, um, but yeah, if you're in the UK, it has been released in July and do not miss this one. And unless you have a bit of a weak stomach, because my stomach was in knots during the finale of this fucking film. Yeah, it, <laughs> not because of gore, I mean because of how unsettling and disturbing it is. It's a slowish burn, isn't it? Yes. Um, and it's much better for it. Yeah. Um, props to Caleb Landry Jones. Oh my god. Who is the go-to weirdo in films? Bless him. I'm sure he's a lovely guy in real life. <laughs> but if he went. If you're casting for anyone who's just a little off kilter, then they usually go for Caleb Landry Jones because he does it well. Yeah, so, I mean, he's normally in bit parts. He's normally supporting cast, isn't he? Yes. Um, but he's front and centre here and he is just phenomenal. Um, he really, really embodies this person uh, in, a, in such a horrifying way. Um and, in my opinion, one of the best actresses around these days, Essie Davis. Scene stealer. Jesus Christ. Again, you know, this this film isn't isn't fun. In, in any means, uh, in, in any uh, sense of the word, it's not fun uh, at all. It is a dark, disturbing, depressing film. But she still manages to bring camp value into this film. And make it work because of her character. <laughs> yeah. And it's still unset. The character she's playing, who I assume is a real life character, yeah. embodies camp. <laughs> yeah. It's genuinely, she is incredible in this film. And the chemistry between the two of them as well is great. Um, but I this. Judy Davis. And yeah, Anthony, Judy Davis. Uh, Lepaglia, yeah, Lepaglia. I thought they were great as well as uh, his parents. Yeah. It's one of those films that is off. Yeah. And I don't mean, like, mouldy bread. Um, but off as in you, you sort of watch it and there's always an inkling that something's not quite right. Yeah. 
and um, it, it go, takes that through the whole film and then there's the conclusion at the end, um, which I don't think... It's not spoilers, it's not a spoiler. It's a real life story. You know, it's a real life story. So it's a real life story. Um, I would compare it to... We need uh, to talk about Kevin. We need to talk about Kevin, um, Elephant. Yeah. Uh, the Gus Van Sant film. Mm-hmm. And it, but it doesn't, I don't feel like the film judges um, the, the, the central character fully. Mm. It's not like this guy was born evil. It's terrible, terrible. Here are all the terrible things that he's done. Yeah. He's, you know, crap, crap, crap. The, the whole way through. He is a, a strange character. But he's also someone that probably didn't get the help that he probably no. should have. No, which is why I appreciate the premise of the film. It's the fact that it's looking for... What led to it? What yeah. caused this to happen? Yeah. Um, and in doing so, it says a lot about the gun laws in Australia. Uh, one scene in particular had my jaw on the ground um, of how easily accessible it is to buy guns in Australia. And it that, was. Uh, how it was. It was. was. It, Before yeah. this happened. Yeah. So it happened in 1994, was it? Uh, yeah. I think happened. there's still problems. Um, but... This was legal back then to do this. Yeah, you know this is well, fucking shooting crazy. Isn't legal, but no, no, no. To but buy the, yeah, the guns, this this yeah. one scene in particular, you know, the, the amount of and and you know when someone's not right, you know when someone is up to something, but the sale still went ahead, and it, it that adds to the whole idea of we're watching what led to this. That is a big part of it. It, that is a big part of the puzzle. Absolutely. And it, there's loads of different parts. And it, yeah. it, it is a film that you can dissect. Yeah. And, and really look at. I mean, this doesn't take away from the fact that he did something... Oh, yeah, yeah. ...heinous. Yeah. yeah. You know. But it looks at it as, as how did we get to this point. And also, props to them, because it wasn't necessary. They didn't actually show the act. Yeah. The so this is what I was going to say. You know, it is a very disturbing and intense film. But if you're worried about having to watch it happen, they don't show it. Which I think is great that they don't show it. Because they don't need to. That's not the point they're making. Yeah, exactly. So it, exactly. I, it would have felt... Exploitative. Exploitative, yeah. like massive. Yeah. Because th- that's not what the film was about. Even though the film was very disturbing. Yeah. Because of a a feeling really yeah the, the feeling that you have watching it and knowing what's going to happen at yeah. the end um it it's yeah it was really well made really yeah. well made really well yeah. acted um yeah a, a really a great film yeah, yeah it is yeah great film i th- i find it difficult to sort of say like two thumbs up yeah. you know go watch <laughs> because it could be triggering for some people if people oh, don't yeah, like. Yeah. Because it's not, you know, we talk about campy horror on here all yeah. the time. And, you know, people's heads get sliced off and all this, that and the other. But it's always the ridiculous side of yeah. things that we usually talk about. But something like this is, is, is in no way ridiculous. No. Next up, we have another Fright Fest film, uh, You're Not My Mother, directed by Kate Dolan. Set in a North Dublin house in a state, Char's mother goes missing. When she returns, Char is determined to uncover the truth of her disappearance 
and unearth the deadly se- the dark secrets of her family. They're, I mean, they're also deadly, technically. Um, released on April the 8th in the UK. It's already out in Ireland. Released it to be confirmed elsewhere. I am thoroughly disappointed in Fright Fest that no one made a joke about Cat Slater whilst introducing this film. No one. You're not mine, are <laughs> Yes, I am. It's, it, that's so easy. Um, and they missed an opportunity. Maybe it's too easy. Maybe that's the problem. But I, I kept doing it. I'm sorry. Yes, I kept making the did. joke. I do apologise. Um, but, you yeah. know. My favourite film of Fright Fest. Or the yeah, Fright Fest side the of things. best film of Fright Fest. Absolutely. Um, oh, I just love female directors making horror. I really do. Because they really know how to do it right. Um, you know, as with Fright Fest, you know, you, you're always in for a bit of a mixed bag. Um, but Kate Dolan showed up and showed everyone how you do it. Because this is such a well-directed film. Well-written, uh, well-acted. Hazel Dupe and Carolyn Bracken, both fantastic in lead roles. Carolyn Bracken, in particular, is fantastic. She is so scary in this film. She is. It, it's a film that's sort of entwined with folklore and, and, and Irish folklore. Yeah. Um, but it, it still feels very real. Yeah. And I, I think it's that kind of... Um, elevated horror elevated horror (laughs) that's what we're calling now elevated horror but I think it's kind of the um, what back in the day you would have called it a kitchen sink drama yeah so like uh, Mike Lee or Ken Loach so it's films based around very real feeling people yeah and the kind of person you would bump into down the supermarket yeah and I think it really benefits from that because there is the elements of the supernatural um, at times, but it feels very grounded in reality, which in this case makes it scary. Yeah. Because it's a horror film. It's meant yeah. to be scary. It's saying something about, you know, d- depression and yeah. um, relationships, for you know, family dynamics. It's saying... St- stuff about that but also it remembers to be a horror film yeah um and it manages to be a scary horror film and it's not always the easiest thing to do um especially when you're dealing with mental health in your film um tying it in with a horror story it could come across as exploitative um it's a very fine line um yeah but Kate Dolan nails it. She absolutely nails it. It's still thought-provoking. You know, the the messages are still there um, that she's trying to put across. But it's still a good old-fashioned, scary, in many ways, kind of possession uh, folk horror film. Yeah. There's a scene in this, again, no spoilers, but there's a particular scene in this involving some dancing that stuck with me after we watched it. And with horror these days, you know... You've got to do something really memorable to style out that much. And this felt like a scene that people will be talking about for quite some time. Yeah, no, absolutely. This felt like, you know, the whole... Uh, do you remember the whole uh, 50 scariest moments on Channel 4 and stuff like that? It felt like something you'd see on there. Um, but in that moment, in that scene, um, Carolyn Bracken's performance is just fucking phenomenal yeah she does really well and also um uh hazel 
Hazel Dupe. Dupe. Um, as the the young girl uh, protagonist, she does yeah. really well. Very very likable. Um, you really feel for her, and you know, she gets some nice character development. She does. So you care about yeah. what happens to her. Yeah. I say it every time, and it will always be true. If you care about the characters, it makes the horror so much more um, scary. Yeah. So much more um, in, intense. And, you know, it does a really good job of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would highly, highly recommend. Highly recommend. Yes, April 8th. Keep an eye out for that. Yes. Next up, Love, Life and Goldfish. Directed by Yukinari Makabe. And it's about Makoto Kashiba, who is an elite blank... Uh, blank? <laughs> Put two words together there. Bank clerk, um, and works for a big bank at its Tokyo HQ. Due to a minor mistake, he is demoted to a small branch office in a country town. He is devastated by his situation. There, he meets the beautiful Yoshino Ikoma, who runs a goldfish scooping store. Makoto falls in love with her at first sight. This is already out in Japan and uh, release date to be confirmed elsewhere. Uh, this film is exactly why we love Japanese cinema. This is exactly why we love Japanese cinema. It's um, heartwarming at times. <laughs> it's um, got catchy songs. Yeah, it's just a musical. It's fabulous. Um, Fabulous um, imagery, fabulous yeah. costumes, um, it's fun, it's silly, it's ridiculous, it's so enjoyable. Yeah. Re- I really fucking love this film. Yeah, um, Japanese musicals aren't always the easiest to find, uh, this film proves that we need more of them. Yes. Um, it's just wildly entertaining. Um, and it, again, the songs are, are really great. Um, it just feels so weird, and but the sort of weird that only Japanese cinema can do. Nowhere else could do this. I know it's, it sounds uh, wanky to say it, but there is that kind of cinema, that kind of comedy that only Japanese filmmakers can do because there's a, a kind of... It's hard to describe, but there's a kind of sincerity yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, particularly with American filmmakers, they might take it too far or go yeah. too over the top or too ridiculous or it, it, it feels forced. Yeah. But I find with so much of Japanese cinema, it, it, comedy cinema, it doesn't feel forced. Um, something like One Cut of the Dead. Yeah. You know, a... a fabulously hilarious film it's that kind of sense of humor that the, the japanese get right yeah so well yeah am definitely. i making any no sense? you, you are yeah it does absolutely make sense i mean the best example is the fact that you know there is a a race to see who could scoop up the most goldfish in this film and they treat it like it's a fucking big intense action scene yeah you know yeah, it's it it's taken in, entirely serious but still comedic at the same time it's it's really a see it to believe it kind of film um, it really just so much fun just really just so much fun um i can't wait to it i hope if anyone from third window films yes. is listening please release it 
I'm I'm sure they will. Yeah. And I will be the first to buy it. I really really love that film. And that brings us to our final film. Uh, and as I said, you know, this is in no particular order. This is my personal favourite. Uh, I don't know if it's yours as well. Uh, of the entire festival, this is Uni. Uni, yes. Um, it is my favourite. Directed by Camilla uh, Andini. In her last year of secondary school, a bright Indonesian student is determined to pursue her education and resist getting married, despite the expectations of her community. Uh, so this, this is already out in Indonesia. Uh, the release date is to be confirmed elsewhere. Um, this was, I believe, Letterboxd's highest rated uh, female directed film last year, and it's very easy to see why. Uh, again, a film with another amazing central performance, Arawinda Karana as Uni. This is, and I think you put it best when you said this is the Indonesian version of your typical teen comedies uh, that you'd get in America. And there's a lot here that would be played off as laughs in America. But instead, because it's in Indonesia and because everything is so different and the culture is different and whatnot, it's not a comedy. It's a drama and a very serious one at that. Um, but it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's definitely a theme, so we might as well end on it. A really fantastic female central performance. Yes. Um, really fascinating story. Incredibly likeable characters. Um, a story of female empowerment. Um, but also a, a sort of coming of age story. It is, yeah. And a story about really not knowing what path to take. Yeah. In life. And I, I've always found them very interesting stories. Yeah. Um, films based around that idea where it's like, what the hell do I know? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I need to make decisions that are going to affect the next, you know, 50, 60 years of my life. You know, not yeah. knowing um, who you really are. I find them endlessly fascinating. And this was really well made. Really well made. Uh, beautifully shot yeah. as well. Beautifully shot. And... Um, yeah, in 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 enthralling. Yeah. I found it. I really did. I mean, Uni's favorite uh, color is purple, and the way that's introduced into the cinematography is really stylish. It's really great. It always helps us stand out, um, in all of our scenes. Uh, so, <laughs> you know how I know who killed me did it with the blue and red. This does it better. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is just, it's fantastic. Yeah, and she's likable, but she's not perfect. Yeah. Either. Um. Layers. Yes. Um, yeah, which I really appreciated. Yeah, and, you know, obviously, Indonesian culture is very specific. Um, not a lot of places are like Indonesia, uh, as it's shown in this film. So the fact that they can still make someone like this relatable and, you know, likeable and down-to-earth um, to other audiences that are not from Indonesia, that's impressive. Yeah, it, it takes a real skill to... Um, take a plot that not any everyone can uh, empathise with. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the sort of central premise is her not really wanting to get an arranged marriage. You know, I, I, I don't know how that feels. Mm. Um, I don't know how it feels to be a, a young woman in, you know, a, a sort of conservative 
uh, world, mm. you know. Um, but it makes it feel universal. Yeah. I, I really feel for her and I really kind of understand her character. And that's what a really good film does. Yeah, absolutely. And that concludes our highlights of Glasgow Film Festival 2022. Yes. Short and sweet, but, you know, it was a little bonus episode for everyone to sort of say, hey, guys, this is what we watched, and we really think that you would enjoy watching it too. Absolutely, and Um, hopefully uh, we'll have the pleasure of doing it again next year. Yeah, yeah, hopefully people are listening and think, oh, do you know what, Gary and Chris, I'm going to wide release uni. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it was the highest rated female director film of Letterboxd last year. Exactly, I don't think they need us, but if we can help uh, get it at your local Odeon or Showcase Cinema or oh, View, wow. then yeah. uh, um, hopefully we can. Yeah, that, that reminds way. me, Rebel Dread's been shown at home in Manchester, and if you're in Manchester, you should absolutely go to home. Um, I mean, you might bump into our lovely faces. And also, as well as that, you know, it's a great film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, no, actually, I don't see a few of these films get at least yeah. some sort of theatrical release here in the UK. Yeah, no, if if you are, and, and I have absolutely no problem plugging it randomly, but yeah, if you are in Manchester, yeah, go to home. Oh, yeah, love home. Yeah, great. Yeah. I, I, I assume the majority of these films will be shown now. But yeah, they play a lot of, um, they play, they show a lot of sort of indie films yeah. and, and older films as well. We recently watched... Multiple Maniacs, yeah, yeah. the John Waters yeah. film there. Uh, yeah, so if you attended Glasgow Film Festival, let us know some of your favourite films. If you're at Fright Fest, let us know. We are Horrible Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrible Trash on Twitter. And again, if you see us at Fright Fest, call Chris a twat and run away. <laughs> no, don't really. Uh, come say hello to us. And uh... I didn't let my mother do that. I, <laughs> I, I say, come, I, I say uh, come say hello to us. We never post our face on anything, so uh, <laughs> we recognise our voices. <laughs> yeah, lockdown's been rough. Let's, <laughs> you know, if, if, let's uh, wait a while until I get back to my old self, then we can post some photos. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm DeLightGaz92. Yeah, if you want to know what we look like, I'm DeLightGaz92 on Letterboxd, gazmo 5 on Instagram, GazCruz92 on Twitter. I'm ChrisBarker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. Don't forget to give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like, follow, and everything else, and give us a rating on Spotify, because that's a thing now. Is it? It is. Oh, I, nice. I mean, I've been saying it for a few weeks, but... Oh. Um, you know, I think we're on five stars. I, I hope so. Oh, I will. I'll, I'll give it five stars. Oh, how generous! Um, we'll be back on Tuesday. Gasmani is top notch. Um, we're back on Tuesday discussing How Razor Free, Hell on Earth, and How Razor Bloodline. We won't be as kind to those films as we were to these films. We won't. Uh, no, no, no. I can guarantee. Uh, yeah, set us up to fail here. I'm not, no, actually setting us up to succeed because we discuss bad films and we're making our way through our Razor franchise. The holy grail of bad films after two. And we're back on Friday. We're still thinking a little better. We'll be discussing Child's Play for our original versus remake episode. Oh, nice. But until then, we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.